After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to hero.co to shop today. Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. I'm JJ Cooper, joined here by Jim Kaus. We're we're in Kansas City. We're in Jim's uh, hotel room recording this is the morning after the uh, the Futures game and which Futures game is always if you're a fan of prospects one of the the big days of the year and and we're fans of prospects, so it's a big day for us. We're a little, little drowsy after a uh, pretty long day yesterday, but, but we're going to talk about the yesterday's Futures game, what stood out to us, what, what jumped out good and bad. And really just going to dive in, I want to ask you with that, Jim, who is, who is someone or what is something that really stood out to you from the game yesterday that you'll remember from, uh, from 2012 Futures game? This may be an odd thing, but the first thing that jumps to mind when you say that, J.J., is you know, we, had, we had an odd Futures game yesterday, much more offense than we expected in a year when we thought we had perhaps the best collection of pitchers, especially on the U.S. side. But I guess the, the thing that, the, one of the things that just really jumped out at me was Manny Machado, you keep hearing you know, he's a bigger-bodied guy, he might have to move off shortstop eventually, you know, might wind up at third base, and you know, definitely has the bat hit there. He made two really nice plays at shortstop yesterday on kind of soft-line drives, it looked like they were going to be base hits, the, the first of which would have kept a key uh, rally going for the world. And not only did he make both plays, he made them rather easily. He's like, like not, I don't know if effortless is the right word, but it didn't seem like he was really straining himself to make either play. And, and it was funny, I was talking to Garrett Cole after the game, and everybody's, you know, I'm sure we're going to talk about Anthony Ghost's catch in center field, and Garrett mentioned that too, but he said one of the things that stood out for him was the two plays Manny Machado made. Like he said, everybody in the dugout thought both of those were hits off the bat, and it's like, you know, how Manny Machado get to those balls so easily? And I talked to Manny Machado after a game about those catches, and one of the things that impressed me was is he also has a very realistic viewpoint of kind of the the difficulties and the the challenges of being a shortstop as, as being as big as he is. A couple questions were asked to him. You know, do you think there's kind of a bias against tall shortstops if you look at at the A rods and the Tulos and all that have come along? And, and his answer was, well, you've picked out the best of, you know, the, the best case scenarios of all those guys. But the reality is, he said, a lot of guys, if you're bigger, you, you move to a corner. You move to third, you move to first. I don't want to move to third or first. And so I, I really work very hard on my agility and making sure I'm quick enough. But, but he said, yeah, most people look out there and think you need to be a little bit shorter guy with quick, you know, really quick feet. But I'm doing everything I can to show that I can play shortstop and I can play it for a long time. Definitely yesterday he showed nothing to make you uh, think, oh, okay, well, you got to move this guy off a short. And the funny thing is, is that scouts I've talked to who wonder about him being a third baseman long term, they've never said that he can't do it now. It's just it seems like it comes down to they look like one of the guys said, look at his feet. Like one of the guys just said, 
it's hard when you project him out five, six, seven years down the road. He might be uh, uh, just a ma- a massive guy, and that's not a bad thing. But, right. but that would be kind of the only question. Right. I mean, he could be you know six three, two twenty five, two thirty. And you don't think a shortstop's going to fit that mold. Although, I mean, you look at the Orioles, I mean, they had a classic tall shortstop in Cal Ripken who, who played shortstop for many, many years. So. Not, not just a classic. He was really kind of the mold setter because before that, I, I don't think you would go back and it would be very hard to find a guy who, who was able to stick there. But, but Cal was definitely about as big a shortstop as, as anyone has seen at that point. The, it was, it was a, the Futures game is usually a great event, but it was a surprising event yesterday. I mean, we... We did see a lot more offense than we thought. The we saw the worst the worst pitching outing that a, any futures game pitcher has ever had. Sorry, Ariel Pena, poor guy. He he was added as a late addition to the game when Edward Carrera came up, and and probably now just hopes that maybe you know they that they just skipped on by him and gone on to someone else. But at the same time, one of the things that did stand out to me was just how impressive the event was yesterday. That was a crowd that that really Will Myers pretty much anything Will Myers did got a uh, seemed like a standing ovation yesterday, and you did get to see you know they was set up nicely. George Brett was one of the managers. Will Myers is the you know was considered one of the stars of the game coming in. The two starters were another pair of Royals, so so Royals fans had a lot to cheer you know to cheer for in this game. But also you mentioned it. We saw some really good defensive plays. We saw some really good defensive plays. We saw some really bad defensive plays. One of the things that stands out to me, you know, we didn't get to see that much of Billy Hamilton. Billy Hamilton never, I think you put, you said it yesterday, we were talking during the game, you said, if you had the over-under on, you know, the line on number of Billy Hamilton grounded into double plays compared to the number of stolen bases in this game, I bet you could have probably gotten a lot of money on grounded in double plays not exceeding his uh, stolen bases. But even with that, we did get to see a, a snippet of Billy Hamilton where he hits the ball and basically doesn't thinks it's going to be caught, ends up going over the center fielder's head. He uh, then turns on the Jets and is a triple. And then, to me, one of the plays of the game that I'll remember is, is what he did uh, when the next batter came up. Yeah, no, that was kind of fun. I mean, I think coming into the game, we, we said, what, Billy Hamilton had 104 steals and he grounded into two double plays, and he grounds into a double play and gets no steals yesterday. But, yeah, I mean, it, it, we talk all the time. I think anybody who talks about Billy Hamilton, we talk about how it's you know, the game-changing speed. That expression gets used too much. In his case, it is literal game-changing speed. And and when I did the Midwest League prospects list last night, I had all these anecdotes people were telling me. I know you've done Billy Hamilton yeah. stories. And you, you got all these anecdotes, but we actually saw one firsthand yesterday. So Billy Hamilton's on third. Colton Wong hits a, a routine comebacker to Chris Reed. Chris Reed looks Billy Hamilton back and did kind of this awkward like spin where I don't know if he was trying to keep an eye on him as he turned to throw to first and winds up throwing the ball down the right field line because, as you pointed out, and I think Billy Hamilton said this after the game, there's been three or four times this year where, again, he was way off third base. I mean, Chris Reed probably could have run at him and tried to get him in a rundown almost, which would have been fun to watch. But there have been three or four times this year where Billy Hamilton has been off third, been kind of frozen by the pitcher, and as soon as the pitcher turns to throw it first, Billy takes off. And I don't know if that was in the back of Chris Reed's mind. It sure looked like it. He throws the ball away. Colton Wong, you got to give Colton Wong credit for you know hustling the whole way out on the, on the comeback. wound up on third base uh, as well. And, it, and that's just an instance where if you're looking at the box score, it might not even be apparent what happened there. It's just an E1. But that was because it was Billy Hamilton, and Chris, he got in Chris Reed's head, and Chris Reed threw the ball away. It cost his team two runs. The other thing I enjoyed with that, talking to Billy Hamilton about it after the game, he said, you know, someone asked him, well, so if you had 
on the triple, he really did. He kind of thought he had hit a sacrifice fly, so he kind of jogged to first base, and he got to about first base and realized, oh, that ball's over his head, and he turned it on, you know, slides into third. Still, without a throw. Without a throw. Yeah, without a throw. Still, and Nathan Rohde at home for us uh, timed it as sub-11 seconds for the, you know, jogging out of the box triple. And he said after the game, he said, well, why did, you know, he said I slid because the, the third base coach asked him, why did you slide? There wasn't a throw. And he said, well, if I don't slide into third, that means I can score. Yeah. So if I slide into third, that means I'm not going home. But if I round third, I'm probably going to be going. So, yeah. So that's why I slide. And, and we did see that. I was frustrated, though. I was bummed that we did not get to see Hamilton on the bases because that was going to be a great challenge. You had Christian Betancourt for the Braves. Christian Betancourt, the catcher for the world team for the first half of the game, has one of the best arms in, uh, you know, of any catcher in the minors. And talking to him before the game, you could tell he was, he was excited, although he did say, he's like, kind of like that, there's nothing, really there's not much I can do. I can have a really good throw, but the reality is, is that it's still me. He still, still steal the bag. But it would have been great to have seen that kind of challenge. And we also, on the double play that Hamilton hit into, Anthony Ghost was the guy in first. If that had been like a single, right. it, would have been, it would have been really fun to have watched Hamilton on first, Ghost on second. I, I feel confident we'd have seen someone uh, taken off on that. But you mentioned Ghost's catch. That was another thing that stood out from this game. Yeah, I thought the two key plays in the game, not that everybody looks at this as a, a contest with a winner and a loser, it's more of a prospect showcase, but I thought the two key plays in the game were, were Hamilton's in the bottom of the third, you know, forcing Chris Reed into an error that cost his team two runs, and in the top of the third, you know, it, it was funny. We're, we're all geared up. Like, this is going to be a great pitching day, great pitching day, and Jake Odorizzi gives up a home run to Jerickson Profar in the first. Okay, you know, Jerickson Profar, best position prospect in baseball. Second inning, Garrett Cole... Gives up a two-run opposite field shot to Jehun Ha of the Cubs, who had, I think, three home runs in 82 games or whatever coming in. Jehun Ha, not the best position prospect in baseball. Correct. So that way, like, we're kind of like, what's going on here? And then Danny Holton comes in the third inning, and we're like, okay, maybe things will settle down here. But no, he gives up. And, and granted, I don't think, one was a ground ball single that Billy Hamilton, I mean, it wasn't a bad play by Billy Hamilton. He just couldn't make the play from deep in the hole. So the first two guys reach, you know, Gene Segura and... And pro far, and you're like, okay, you know, maybe this isn't going to sell down. And then, so after two hits that were not really stung, Oscar Tavares just scorched the ball to deep center, and Anthony goes, he made maybe not a banana route. I mean, he, he took a slight curl. It wasn't the most direct route, but he still had the speed to, to recover and make this diving catch in center field. And when that ball was hit, I thought it was going to be a two-run double, and then it would have been, I guess... Five nothing world at that point, and, and nobody out, and and it just seemed like after that, you know, Holton settled down. Uh, the, the world team kind of, you know, the, you had the four run rally by the U.S. in the bottom of the third with Billy Hamilton's escapades, and the world team kind of, they had a guy try to advance uh, on a on a, I guess it wasn't a wild pitch, pitch got away from the catcher. You had uh, Jesus Aguilar tried to advance on that, got thrown out, and then they had a runner caught stealing in the fifth. After that, it's just like the world was done scoring runs. The, the, the game was totally different after those two plays. You mentioned Tavares. I, I feel like it's, it's pretty safe to say Tavares, if you're saying who had the best BP in this game, Mike Old had a really good one, but I, I think you could probably say that Oscar Tavares had the best one. If you know something about Kauffman Stadium, Tavares hit a ball just to the right of the batter's eye that landed kind of in the fountain area of, uh, of Kauffman Stadium, which... 
that's that's always kind Bo of Jackson territory. Yeah, that that that's that's you're hitting the ball. You're you're stinging the ball really well to do that. And in the game, Tavares, you look at the box score and it doesn't really show up. But Tavares hit the ball very very solidly. And what you can't help but say anytime you see Oscar Tavares hit is that is an incredibly violent swing. But the interesting thing is is that he has the hand eye to make consistent contact with one of the biggest rips that you're going to see of anyone in the you know of any significant prospect in the game. Yeah, I mean, and he's a different build, but I mean, that's kind of I mean, Dustin Pedroia always sticks out to me. He's like kind of to me the classic guy who does that, where you know, you have this little guy, and I remember when he's come up through the minors, and it, I was talking to Jason McLeod, the Red Sox, about him, and Jason told me, you know, I finally figured out why Dustin's so good. He's like, you know, he, he swings from his heels every time. But he might have the best hand-eye coordination in baseball. And, and Tavares is kind of in that mold, too. And another thing we saw with Oscar yesterday is you've heard, I heard this doing Midwest League prospect reports last year, and you hear, you know, Oscar needs to maybe work on his defense a little bit more. And, you know, he had airmail to throw that wound up being an error, and it didn't look great in right field. But, uh, you know, offensively, it is fun to watch that guy hit. And the power is getting better. I mean, he's got, he had good power last year. It's better power this year. Talking to him before the game, he said, Hey, you know, I'm I'm bigger than I was last year. He said I think he was like 195 last year. He's 208 now. So he's and he's 208. He's jumped from 195 to 208, and he's playing more center this year. That doesn't mean he's gotten faster, right. but it does mean that they have made an emphasis on him trying to retain what speed he has. So Tavares, I think, is definitely a guy who, who stood out in this game. Um, we we were talking about last night on our on the shuttle ride back after the game, and then on our uh, way to to dinner. If you're talking about the pitchers, they're really this was a who's who of pitching prospects in the minors, but it seemed like the guy who, who scouts were most impressed with is this, or maybe was even a little bit better if they hadn't seen him before than what they expected was Jose Fernandez. Yeah, you know, I mean, we, we talked, and I'm working on a column there. There were seven first-round picks just from last year's draft alone on the pitching staffs here. You know, Jose was on the world team, and... You know, he was, you know, I think he pitched, what was the second inning? I'm looking at my notes here. You know, second inning and just carved up the U.S. You know, struck out two of the four batters he faced. Oh, I'm sorry, two of the three because there was a caught strikeout, strike him out, throw him out, double play. But, you know, he struck out Michael. He struck out Michael Choice. It's a pretty good inning for, uh, you know, a kid who's 19, 20 years old. And showed, not only showed plus velocity, which he has. I mean, and we saw a lot of plus, yeah. plus, plus and plus, plus velocity in this game. But he also showed... You know, he's really got a good changeup. He, he's got a, a feel for secondary stuff, too. He has an idea for pitching. He's not the skinniest dude. That's yeah. one thing that does stand out is, is he's not that skinny, but if he's a guy who has enough athleticism that scouts don't seem to be that worried if he's carrying a little bit of extra weight. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's not like you have to project him for his stuff to get better. His stuff's good now. Um, he's, you know, I guess if you want to look at the glass half full, he's got a strong, durable frame. But, I mean, you look at that guy and you're not wondering, oh, I wonder if he can handle 200 innings when he gets to the majors. He should be able to handle 200 innings. But, no, he, he was really impressive, and it's funny because not that he was supposed to go in the first round last year. I think there was a little bit of surprise. Maybe they went as high as he did. He was the 14th overall pick. And you and I were talking about this yesterday. I mean, if you were redoing that draft, he's going in the top ten. I mean, he, he's, he's going even higher than that. Right. I, I would say you could make an argument that he's he's – if you do what you know now, you're in, he's in consideration for that fifth, sixth, seventh pick. Yeah, I mean, the Royals you know, really wanted quality pitching in last year's draft. They very well might have taken him fifth overall. And, I mean, no offense to Bubba Starling, but, I mean, the Royals really wanted pitching. And if you knew, that, if you knew then what you know now, 
you know, you probably feel pretty good about taking him at number five. I'm trying to think now. As far as guys who who stood out in a bad way, I think unfortunately for Ariel Pena, he's going to be the guy remembered for that. At the same time, I did feel like with Pena that there wasn't that he actually pitched horribly. He, it wasn't something where you saw Ariel Pena and you thought, what is this dude doing this game? I mean, he just doesn't belong with these guys. It wasn't anything like that. He had a bad outing. He wasn't really locating particularly well, but he didn't show, you know, he didn't look like a, a fraud out there or anything like that. He just had the worst outing probably of his career. Is there anyone else who stood out to you who was maybe a little bit less impressive than what you expected? No, I mean, you could see why guys were here. I mean, as you mentioned, I mean, Pena was throwing 94-95, and he was trying to, you know, he was mixing in change-ups. I mean, it wasn't like he was just throwing the ball down down the middle, throwing 89 miles an hour, even though it looked like that from the results. I think the, the world went, I mean, the U.S. went 7-for-7 seven seven with a walk and a sack fly against him. I mean, he couldn't get anybody out. No, I mean, the guy who, the guy who I thought seemed the most rattled was uh, Felipe Rivera of the Rays, who came in and walked three guys, you know, gave up two runs, one earned, uh, you know the damage could have been a lot worse, and he was. I think at one point he threw six or seven balls in a row, and but he was throwing hard. I mean, he was throwing in the 90s, and, and to me it looked like he was just too juiced up to be in the game, and maybe a little overwhelmed. And you know, just to touch on what you said about Kansas City earlier, I think I've been to 11 of the 14 Futures games, 10 or 11 of them, and there's never been a crowd like that. I mean, it was you know they announced the attendance a little over 40,000, and a lot of times the announced attendance counts empty seats, tickets sold. People who show up at the end of the Futures game to go watch the celebrity softball game, which, you know, MLB can shoot me down. I've never understood the appeal of that. I, I can't imagine anybody watches that, but I guess they do. Um, but it was, I mean, there were very few empty seats. I mean, the, the, the Coffin Stadium was pretty much full yesterday, and, and I, I, I was very, very impressed. That was the best crowd I've ever seen in the Futures game. And the crowd was into it. It yeah. was something, it wasn't just when Will Myers came up. When they saw when Anthony Ghost makes his diving catch in the outfield, or when Manny Machado made those catches, the crowd, you know, cheered, stood up. I mean, was was impressed. It wasn't that these were fans who just showed up kind of to see what was going on. I, it's funny. I had a uh, on Twitter yesterday. We we were both tweeting a lot during the game, and and I and someone tweeted at me said, you know, well half these guys, half these people in the stands probably don't didn't know who Will Myers was when they uh, showed up at the ballpark. It's like. No, I don't think so. This is Royals fans. They have a reason to be focused on the, the prospects. But quite clearly, you know, talking to Will Myers, he said, hey, Fan Fest yesterday, I've never experienced anything like that because here you are, he's, you know, a chance to be in Kansas City, and fan after fan just keeps telling him, you know, quite clearly knows who he is and quite clearly is excited like, hey, we can't wait to see you in Kansas City. It, it was – and the players – Nick Castellanos, after the game, when he found out, and he was the, he was the, team, the MVP of the game, hit a home run a uh, little bit just to the right of center field that was uh, right of dead center. I mean, it was an impressive, uh, impressive piece of hitting. He had an impressive day. He, he looked good all day. But after the game, he finds out that his bat is going to Cooperstown. And what's awesome about this is, you know, the big league all-star game, the major league all-star game, and I understand this. The reality is, is that for a lot of guys, that is kind of like, okay, well, I don't get my four days off. Right. I've, I've got to go to the All-Star game. And, I, I mean, I know as a fan you hear that and you can get frustrated, but the reality of it is is that at the same time, if you're a Prince Fielder or someone like that, once you've gone to four or five of these things, I, do, I can understand where you get a little bit jaded on, okay, 
I don't get many days off during the uh, during the year, and now I'm not going to get these days off. You don't see that at the Futures game. These guys, for them, it is special that they get to play in a big league ballpark. It is special, especially how many, they told the teams before the game, hey, guys, this is going to be a sellout today. There's going to be 40,000, 41,000 fans there. And that was important to those players because I don't care the, the best minor league environment you're in, you're not playing in front of 40,000. Basically, there's almost no one there who's played in front of 40,000 fans before in a big league ballpark. It was very important, very exciting for these players to, for one, you know, be validated as, hey, you're one of the best prospects in the game. For two, to get a chance for a day and a half or so to hang out with some of the other best prospects in the game who are doing, you know, are going through a lot of the same things. And in some cases, you also have like old teammates who've been separated, like Taiwan Walker and Danny Holson. He's like, hey, it's great. I've been missing Danny, you know, and like. Uh, he wouldn't tell us, Taiwan Walker wouldn't tell us what it was, but he texted a song to, uh, to Danny Holson that they used to, you know, like, I don't know if it was, you know, we said it was a calling maybe. He's like, no, but I do like that song a lot right now. But um, you have that, but then you have things like Castellanos after the game and the Hall of Fame coming up and saying, hey, can we have your bat? We want to take your bat back to Cooperstown because we take an artifact from every Futures Game MVP to Cooperstown. And he gives them the bat, and then he starts talking, and you can see it, like, hit him. He said, I went to Cooperstown when I was 12, and to, to all the names there, to think that something of mine is already in Cooperstown. Also, for the families of these players, like some team, you know, some guys had families there, but even if not, um, I think it was Jesus Aguiar talking about, you know, hey, my family back, you know, back home doesn't get a chance to, to watch me, you know, on TV. Right. Now they can. And and just how important that kind of that that aspect is too. Like this is this is a really big deal for the players, and it's really kind of fun to see that just how important this is to the players, and and how you know and and it really is kind of a big stage and a chance. You know, scouts say this isn't a chance to see. So it's a small look, but every batter in that game was seeing was facing premium, especially if you're a world batter and you did a good job in that game, you were facing premium pitching, you know, at-bat after at-bat. No, you're right. I, mean, I, I talked to Danny Holton after the game about some of this, these same things, too, and, and he was talking about how, like, this was one of the highlights of his career. Now, he didn't pitch well, or didn't pitch as well as he usually does, you know, one inning and three hits and gave up a run and ghost bailed him out. And, but he just said, you know, this is one of his best baseball experiences ever, you know, just because it was a big league atmosphere. He said he felt like he was playing in a big league game, you know, just with the quality of the competition he was facing, the ballpark, the fans, and you're right. I mean, as many of these games that I've been to, I, none of these guys ever seem jaded. They all seem thrilled to be here. You know, I often talk to guys, and it's funny. I don't know how much guys know about the Futures game. Like, all these guys were in last year's draft. You know, I don't know how many of them followed the Futures game when they were pitching in college or high school. But, like, when you get to the minor leagues, you know what the Futures game is. You find out about it. And a lot of these guys, you know, that's, that's where you want to be. You know, in mid-July, you want to be at the Futures game. That's a goal for everybody. Taiwan Walker's like, I remember when James Paxton went to it last year. And he yeah. said, and I knew that I wanted to be, you know, Paxton got to do it last year. I wanted to do it this year. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and you mentioned Holson and Walker. And, 
And I was, you know, I, I was working on this column about these pitchers and, and who they were looking forward to seeing pitching. And Danny and Danny Holson said he'd been bragging to some of the guys he knew from his college days who were reunited on this team about how good Taiwan Walker was. So he was, he said, like to him, one of the highlights of the game was Taiwan Walker went out there and he was kind of one of the, the U.S. pitchers who restored order toward the end of the game. The U.S. last four innings was, you know, five, four or five innings was very difficult to hit. And uh, and then Danny Holton, that was one of his best memories. It wasn't so much how he pitched, but he was glad that Taiwan Walker lived up to all the bragging Danny Holton had been doing about it. And and you have also like I know there's a lot of fans who got to watch that game yesterday. That was your first chance to watch Billy Hamilton. That was your first. It's funny Taiwan Walker. If you're a Mariners fan, I know we had the the midseason prospects chat on Thursday, and there were a lot of people saying Taiwan Walker number four. Have you seen the month he's had? You know, I mean, you're sure he's not hurt and all that. If you're a Mariners fan, it's got to be a little comforting to see Taiwan Walker go out there. It's like, and he was consistently 96, 97. There didn't seem to be any any injury issues that you're having to worry about there. He said himself before the game, "Hey, I haven't I haven't had the feel for my secondary stuff." And the reality is, is that it doesn't matter how hard you throw if you're if you're a one pitch pitcher, you're going to get beat up pretty good. And he hadn't necessarily located as well as he wants to lately either. So you have those kind of things. You get to see that in this in this game. I, I would say. I'll ask you also, the, the surprising guy to me, if you said who was a guy who was a little bit better than I expected, I heard, I've heard that Bruce Rondon has gotten a little bit better control. You know, a, He's gotten a little bit of his weight a little bit under control. But it was impressive to see him go out there, and it was 102, 101, 101, 101, and he was done with his very short outing. And, hey, he didn't bounce any balls up to the plate. He didn't throw any balls over the catcher's head. He doesn't have to have – Bruce Rondon's not going to have to paint the black on every pitch for him to be effective in the big leagues. He was the guy who stood out to me as, hey, this guy looked a little bit better than I expected. Was there anyone else that looked to you like, hey, this guy's a little bit better than maybe I expected coming into the game? Yeah, in a short look, I, I think the two catchers on the U.S. team both impressed me a little bit. I mean – Tommy Joseph doesn't have your, you know, his reputation of being an offensive guy, but he made a nice play when a ball got away from him to throw out Jesus Aguilar that really kind of diffused a rally in the fourth inning and hit a double. And then Rob Brantley, who I think is more your kind of steady catcher than a guy who blows you away offensively or defensively. He's more kind of decent across the board. He came in, he hit a double in his first at-bat off the Ariel Pena, so maybe it doesn't count as much, but uh, I, I joked there. But he also and he threw out Oscar Tavares stealing. So both those guys showed something with the bat, which I think we kind of knew they had, but also showed something defensively, too, and I thought that was kind of... And the other thing, too, you have to give those guys credit for, is your fate, you know, they handled, I guess there were 10 guys who pitched for the U.S. team, all of whom had pretty sick stuff, who for the most part they hadn't handled before. Um, and Brantley, I was talking to him, he's played with Rondon, didn't have to hit against him or catch him today, but he said, yeah, he was telling the guys in the dugout, hey, don't, you know, everybody watch this, you know, he's, he's going to light up the gun pretty good. Uh, but I think both those guys kind of showed something in their brief stint while they were splitting the catching duty. And, and, and that is, I, I was talking to Brantley before the game about how just how difficult it is to go out there. It is an exhibition. You don't. It, this is not life or death. This is not you know that your chances of winning a championship rest are, are not on, on calling the right pitch in the right situation. But it is a lot of you go out to the mound and go. So hey, uh, so what do you throw? What do you want me to call? And then. You, it it is a little different scenario than the normal time because also you're facing guys you have no clue what you know. You, he said you don't try to figure out okay so what does Oscar Tavares like to hit in this case yeah. you just go so what do you like to throw okay well I'll try to set up for that and we'll try to 
figure out and get on the same page. But there weren't really, there weren't wild pitches, there weren't pass balls. That's impressive in a game like this because one of the things you ask with catchers is can they handle premium velocity? If you survived this game yesterday, you can handle premium velocity. You know, and the breaking stuff, too. I mean, when you, you haven't caught Gary Cole's slider before, or Danny Holtzson's slider, or Dylan Bundy's curve, you know, those are, you know, pretty good weapons. You know, those aren't easy to handle. Uh, but, yeah, I, I thought both those guys really acquitted themselves well behind the plate. But, well, this has been the Baseball America podcast. We're going to keep this one relatively, that's about 30 minutes here. We've, we've, we've got some traveling to do today. We got a, Jim's got to write his column. We've got some writing, some reporting to do as we talk to people about what they thought about the Futures game. But we hope you did enjoy the podcast. We'll be back again next week with another Baseball America podcast. Probably talk a little bit signing more prospects. Deadline. Sam, we'll have you right. We'll have, signing dead, we'll have signing deadlines. So we'll have a signing deadline podcast probably, which will be a little in a – in a good way for Jim, because it, for one, it's not a midnight deadline, but it will be a little bit more sane uh, signing deadline this year than, say, last year. Definitely. Yeah, I, I think we're going to have very little drama. There's only seven unsigned first-round picks here on uh, Monday, and uh, you know, I, I think we're going to have very few guys going all the way to the deadline who actually sign. But, so thanks for uh, the download. Thanks for the listen. And uh, if you want to have any questions, send it to podcast at Baseball America, and we'll be back next week. Thanks, everyone. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.